The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. What? Hey! Hey! What's good, What's happening? People? My name is Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca, and today we are joined by the legendary... Oh, shit, what's the name of the show? What? Yeah, yeah. What is waiting on show? reparations. We can't, we can't tell them about the guests before we get to the show. Yeah, it's waiting on reparations. Well, I mean, like, I, you know, I would love reparations, but I'll also take having Mike C-Town back on hey, the show yo. as a consolation prize. Oh, yeah. How are you, Mike? How you doing, Mike? Who are you, Mike? Why do people give a shit that wait, you're wait, here? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm very excited yeah, that you're no, here. Yeah, no, we're happy that you're here. All right, well, that's shit. We've got Mike Seatown on the show with us. Mike's with us. What are we going to be talking about today, Moran? So today, oh, there's all kinds of stuff to talk about. Biden was just in Atlanta today. I'll be beefing with the police. Go dogs. And our main topic of discussion, we're going to be talking about um, a gang in Chicago in the 1960s that became a civil and human rights organization, the Young Lords, and along the way discussing the revolutionary potential of street gangs based on the precedent that was set by the Young Lords back in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. Um, but first, what the fuck's been going on, bro? Like, what is going on well, out here? I was uh, searching through the news today, and I came across that story about our homie that we helped out last year. Oh, John yeah. Ossoff is uh, making a little progressive stand there. Um, so, Nancy Pelosi recently made some news by defending uh, members of Congress trading in stocks. It was a pretty tone-deaf thing. You know, uh, her explanation was... She doesn't know. She, like, has never heard the tone. Yeah, no, she, she, she was like, it's, the, <laughs> she it's the free market. She doesn't know. I support the free market and shit like that. Even, like, Fox, you even had, like, Fox News and like Republican goons being like, damn, I didn't know we were just straight up supporting corruption like that. <laughs> so anyway, our home It's a it's a it's a multipartisan our affair. Homie John Ossoff has bucked the trend and has introduced a bill that would make it illegal for 
sitting members of Congress to trade in stocks. This is uh, like an obvious snub at Nancy Pelosi. What do you what do you think this means, Mariah? I mean, hopefully it means that they will actually ban trading on stock. I just saw recently that Rand Paul was like on some radio show talking about how remdesivir is a great COVID treatment when he owns stock in yeah, remdesivir. Yeah. I mean, like they, they're like naked about it out here. They're not even trying to play you like they're not getting rich off of our suffering. I don't know. So, I don't know why the name escapes me right now. But who was the um, who did Ossoff beat? Ossoff beat, oh no, David Perdue, and I remember because there was that debate where David Perdue just didn't even show up, and Ossoff was like, yeah, smiling with his little boyish chin and his nice eyebrows and like gesturing to this empty podium <laughs> that David Perdue was standing at. And David Perdue and Kelly Leffler were trying yeah, to stop in like they, Zoom and like body bag yeah, companies a, ahead of like the pandemic. They had some stake in Zoom and shit while everybody was using it. And I mean, also, you got to remember that like all those congressional people knew how bad COVID was going to be and knew that it was coming. So when you take all of that shit into consideration, I mean, we're just talking about straight up illegal activity right here at this point. You want to talk about some gangster shit? Yeah, today we're talking about, oh, street gangs, like making the world better. Can we crack down on these corporate gangsters that like be, you know, doing these backroom deals to like profit off of human suffering, much akin to a drug dealer yeah. or, you know, I don't know, a, dr- a sex trafficker. Shit is just legalized, that's all. This shit is just legalized. What do you think, Mike? Uh, I I didn't know that you guys helped John Ossoff. So, yeah, um, back in the next, last January, uh, Mac and I, so I, like, was a part of this effort, this coalition of local politicians that, like, raised, like, 20 grand to pay all these people to go out knocking on doors for mm. him and Warnock. And so Mac and I went, hit the streets, was out talking to people about going out to vote and COVID. shit. Yep. And, um... Wait, y'all, y'all, y'all just slid some shit in. So wait, so it was Ossoff and uh, yeah. Warnock? Yeah, yeah. So y'all were the motherfuckers responsible for me getting like five Warnock yeah. flyers I a even day. Did a, yeah. I, did a dope, yeah, I did a dope knife set at City Hall for Ossoff in Athens, too. Yep. yep. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. But I, man, if, if, if Warnock wasn't... That cool. I, I was gonna not vote for him because he was pissing me emails. off. All those fucking flyers. I was like, yo, I'm already on your side, bro. I don't need these flyers. Like, cut it. Like, all these trees you're killing. Like, I think stop a heavy it. Spam box hurting, yo. Bro, but no, that's that's dope, man. I didn't know that. That's oh yeah, cool. we did that yeah. shit. I did that shit. That's now, super cool. I have a hot take real quick because I feel like people really like Warnock because he's a fiery pastor and shit. I actually, I, I personally, yeah. I, I mean, I don't have beef with him. He is, his people, his office has been really great in like coming down to Athens, trying to like get in touch with the people. But between the stock trading thing and the fact that Ossoff didn't, didn't, I mean, it's, he didn't vote no, but he didn't vote for Rahm Emanuel for ambassador of Japan. Mm. Uh, those two alone in them eyebrows, let's be real. I got to think for skinny yeah, white I, boys. Um, I'm like, yeah, you know, he might be my favorite of my I mean, two I'm, senators. I'm waiting for the neo-lib streak in him to come out and for him to do something that's gonna disappoint but I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer on the shit you know cause it is a hopeful thing but in all honesty I think cats like Warnock and Ossoff really are the only chances that the Democrats have like the only I think the only chances that the Democrats have going forward is some some senator or congressperson that is not like part of the yes so pretty much they need like another sort of obama situation where like somebody who's 
quasi outsider is gonna come in and like just buck all the establishment trends and stuff like that. And I mean, I don't know if Ossoff and Warnock are those cats, but I mean, they seem like them and Stacey Abrams seem kind of like you know. Mike's not so, sure. not so sure. Mike's not so sure. Not not with Warnock. I never got the buck the trend uh, vibe from Warnock. I got it from Ossoff. Warnock just seemed like he's trying to be like the cool guy next door that wants to be a politician. And that's fine. That's fine. He hasn't said anything that's really grossed me out or anything like that. So I'm fine with him. But I never got the vibe of I'm really going to go in here and shake shit up. Well, speaking of shaking shit up, so Mariah is joining us after, you know, her committee meeting like she always does. So before Mike came on, you were hot. We, when we were talking, you were hot and I remain stuff. hot. The temperature is quite so, high. So what, 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 nah, like, what went down? So, um, these motherfuckers play with the wrong <laughs> bitch. Firstly, that's the that's just the summary. We can move on. But no, so as listeners of the show remember, I was beefing with the police chief back in December about the drug war. Had some sp- pretty spicy things to say about the racist history of the drug war and pulled actual receipts from like historical documents about why they started the drug war and you know it's modern day deleterious effects so anyway um he's he's talking some shit about me and so this is my first opportunity can you you recap to to the audience what the shit he talked about? oh yeah oh yeah he tried to say that like um, I didn't care about crime. Like, by name. Call me out by name, but I don't care about people getting shot and killed out here. And he called me an academic and, like, said, that, like, pretty much said that science isn't real because I was, like, bringing up all this public health science about how to prevent crime yeah, and prevent violence. How are you going to call somebody academic was, as a diss? Like, bitch, do you not? Do you not, like, read books? I don't, I'm Man, so confused right sc- now. Fuck you, scholar-ass nigga. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, oh, we want our kids to grow up and have a bright future and go to college. And then you go to college and like, fuck you, nigga. You smart ass nigga, bitch. Nigga, who bitch. taught you octagon? Smart. <laughs> who taught you? Yeah. No, so, exactly. And so it was very inflammatory, very directedly, directed directly at me. So I had my first opportunity to be on a meeting with him this evening. And so I was just like, hey, what's up, bro? Um, I'm a lot of, I just let all my colleagues know that I have zero faith in his... Um, Ability to respond professionally to reasoned critique. And um, brought on the fact one of his homies fucking murdered a guy in the park behind my house last summer. And like the same guy that got shot was on Facebook three days before begging people to send him money on Venmo because he was so desperate. A couple days later, he's out carjacking people and stuff getting shot. So like if y'all really want to talk about public safety, like y'all have fun talking about oh, let's, you know, ban chokeholds and like, oh, use of force policies. That None of that shit would have saved this man's life. This man needed mental health care. So, like, y'all hit me up when y'all ready to talk about some real shit and then I was, I just peaced out. So what meeting. do you think the so, fallout of the spat's gonna be? I, I mean, I don't really care. Like, they could say whatever the fuck they want, frankly, because his, I'm right. I'm right. <laughs> History's gonna know I'm right. <laughs> History's gonna know I'm right, man. Like, you know, every like you know, at the time, like, everyone tries to twist the civil rights movement to their own agenda. But frankly, those people in that day, it wasn't. It wasn't like like eighty percent of niggas was not out there getting mm-hmm. shot and like hit with hoses and police dogs. There was like a little twenty percent that were, and everybody else thought they was fucking crazy. I, I think, and you know what? They was right. They was right out a, there and get putting their bodies on the line. We should do an episode to like dive into that more because I think that is a misconception that a lot of people have even I had that misconception until I read into it more but it's like 
not everybody was a part of the civil rights movement. <laughs> like, nah, a lot of people, people were, thought those niggas was crazy it as was hell. The, it was the equivalent of like the the general population, at least for a good chunk of the civil rights movement, the general population's reaction to the civil rights movement was kind of akin to how people react to like online activism on Twitter and stuff. You know what I mean? You're kind of like, oh yeah, they're making noises, but it's not really, you know, it's just not really like encompassing of the entire population of people. It's kind of like just a small subsect and stuff like that. It was. It's like y'all remember. No, oh, no, sorry. No, no. Y'all remember that episode of the Boondocks where like Granddad, he was like, "We got hosed down and bitten by dogs for your rights," and then it did a flashback where he like showed up yeah. late to the protest <laughs> like with there. like a, a rain jacket on and everybody was all beat up already, <laughs> and they were like looking at him like, "The fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's that it's that. So yeah, I mean it's it's good. It's fine. Um. I'm gonna keep on raising hell, but um, well, there's been a lot of holding, a lot of holding um, powerful as you know white supremacists to account of late. Biden was in Georgia today, um, and so of white supremacists. <laughs> um, so that was the whole thing. He came down here to you know talk about voting rights and several uh, large you know voting rights groups and progressive groups like New Georgia Project, uh, Black Black Voters Matter. Um, fair fight like uh, Stacey Abrams organization were like don't come don't come don't come down here and talk to us come go talk to Joe Manchin we ain't mm. you ain't got shit to say to us our senators support voting rights we support voting rights I don't know what you gotta come say to us frankly and then Stacey Abrams ended up pulling out she didn't even show up and so, uh, yeah, she was like, oh, I had a scheduling conflict. Like, bitch, who has a <laughs> Like, don't know if anybody's like, if you want to be there with the president, you president? find a way. You reschedule that hair appointment, like, whatever, to be there. So it was just kind of funny. What do you think the snubs um, mean? I was about to ask the same question. I'm curious. I mean, it's, these are the same people that, like, effectively got him elected last year, you know, like, who I was out here registering voters in a pandemic, like, you know, doing all this voter education and outreach. And the, and, he, and he hasn't delivered on, like, the stuff people voted to get. And so they're saying, like, you ain't going to use us as, like, a background prop to, like, you know, boost your poll numbers. Like, I literally, strategically, why are you here? Go talk to Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. Like, yeah, I don't understand why you... Like, this is a moment for more flowery words. So that's what the beef was about. <coughs> and, um, yeah, so that was a, that's been a whole day Well, down here. Shit, speaking of whole days, we've got a pretty stacked episode and a lot of stuff to get through. So I think we should get into it, no? Let's All get right, it. we're going to take a little break. And when we get back, we are going to be talking about the Young Lords. And is it possible for modern day gangs? street gangs to organize and you know to do more than what they're doing so we'll be back with that and after after the jump hey my name is jay shetty and i'm the host of on purpose i just had a great conversation with michael b jordan and you can listen to it right now michael is known for his performances in both film and television his breakout role was in fruitvale station playing oscar grant which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations his portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. 
It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. So, Mariah, tell us a bit about the Young Lords before we jump in. Yeah, so um, the Young Lords, under the leadership of Jose Chacha Jimenez during the 1960s, 70s, up until the early 80s, you know, they took inspiration from the Black Panthers and effectively turned themselves from street gang focused on turf battles and, like, stealing cars. They stole, like, 350 cars in, like, a month span or some shit crazy. Just out here, wilding out decided um, in the face of urban renewal in their Lincoln Park neighborhood in Chicago to turn their focus toward um, community empowerment and particularly self-determination for Puerto Ricans. They were a Puerto Rican street gang. Um, From there, they kind of built out, you know, they had solidarity with black people and colonized people all over the world. They engaged in mass education. They canvassed. They organized community programs like community testing for TB and lead poisoning. Like the Black Panthers, they had a free breakfast program for kids. And then what we're going to talk about a lot in this episode is they also staged occupations of government properties and churches and engaged in direct confrontation with figures of authority from the clergy to, you know, public health officials to obviously the police. So their platform demanded an immediate withdrawal of the U.S. military forces and bases from Puerto Rico, Vietnam and all oppressed communities inside and outside the U.S., 
No Puerto Rican should serve in the U.S. Army against his brothers and sisters, for the only true army of the oppressed people is the People's Army to fight all rulers. Their anti-imperialist, their anti-imperialist stance was similar to the 10-point program of the Black Panthers who demanded no black person should serve in the military as well. Now, their full platform included... One, self-determination for Puerto Ricans, liberation on the islands and inside the United States. Uh, They wanted self-determination for all Latinos and liberation for all third world people. They wanted community control for our institutions and lands. They also wanted true education for the Creole culture. They wanted freedom for all political prisoners and equality for women, saying that machismo must be revolutionary, not oppressive armed self-defense and armed struggle as means of liberation and last a socialist society so as the as the organization grew you know there were ended up being chapters all over the u.s and so different or different like chapters of the party not the party the organization ended up kind of tweaking on this and you know developing different aspects of the platform um for you know for themselves but you know it included resistance to sexism imperialism capitalism um all the isms so before we go any further, so what are your thoughts on that? I'm still I'm I remain very curious whether or not this um, model of organizing, taking an existing structure of people that are willing to do whatever to get shit for their people, like is replicable in the modern day. Because I feel like a lot of the conditions that were happening in the 1960s, this revolutionary spirit, um, are it's just like you know it's just a, a it. A time that's gone from us. I don't know what was magical or special about that time that we just don't have in 2022. But I mean, I think at least from the tactics, there's a lot to be learned from them. But what do you think, Mike? Like knowing hip hop as you do and the way these niggas out here, like got they sets, you know, they got they yeah, like areas they rap, etc. They have similar like structure in these little underground organizations. Do you think something like this is possible in the modern day? Um. I think it's definitely possible. Um, I think that that I don't want to call it. See, I, I never, I never really thought about Young Lords as a gang. Mm-hmm. So I think that's so my brain is kind of trying to wrap myself around that part. But yeah, I think that I think that with the gangs we have today, which are completely different than the gangs even when I was growing up, completely different. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's possible. I don't think it'll happen, unfortunately, because it's going to take someone that's going to go out there and actually do the work to get these groups together. But I definitely think it's possible. I wonder as well if more people knew about this kind of history, if it would make it more possible. Like, I'm li- like, you know, I you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, this literally mm-hmm. happened before. You ain't inventing anything new. Like, this has totally been done. Down to tactics. Like, this is how y'all could go about winning things for your people. Because um, we just have such shitty history education in this country. You know, damn well, nobody learned about the young lords and fucking high school civics. Well, Are you kidding? I think you're, I think you're definitely right in the sense that more education and knowledge about stuff like that would help help the possibility of it I, I like mike i think it's possible i just don't i don't know how likely i think it is just because you know like mike was saying it's the the differences in what street gangs are now compared to what they used to be um you know you've got a lot of things that are working against it there's a lot more distraction now than there was back then 
um, social media, internet, yeah. streaming. Well, there's there's a lot there's a lot more comforts for people to compete with, for people's attention to get them onto that stuff. And then, lastly, I think the biggest obstacle towards something like that happening is like. I mean, I'm not, like, a street gang expert or anything like that. But, I mean, for the most part, like, street gangs now are, like, capitalistic enterprises. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're trying to get money. There's not, like, the the whole, the inception point is not, like, oh, this is for the block or this is for the neighborhood or, like, you know what I mean? Or for some greater purpose other than, like, a monetary, you know, profit-driven one. So... You know what I think it is? Like, <clears throat> when you're talking about social media and all that, I think it's a lot easier now for groups to just be like, oh, someone else is going to do this. Because mm-hmm. you can hop on Twitter, you'll see a whole bunch of other people talking shit. So you're like, oh, well, I ain't got to worry about that. Because at some point, user battle for today <laughs> is going to fucking take care of this shit. So I can go do whatever. Whereas when we were growing up, well, I can say I, I'm not sure how old y'all are. I know I'm older than both of y'all probably. But when I was growing up, there was no internet. So it was basically like, oh, well, I don't know if somebody else is going to do this shit. I don't know if somebody else is going to go out here and make sure that trash is getting picked up. So maybe me and my friends should go out here and take care of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like one of the biggest things that's different. I mean, the, the internet can be used in both ways because you can also use it to organize. But I think a lot of people don't want to admit that the internet's just made a lot of motherfuckers lazy. Yeah. And apathetic. Yeah. I mean, a counterpoint to that, like, based on personal experience I had recently, I know this cat, this local rapper, um, that, you know, he got, like, a mad following on, like, Instagram and shit. Like, he, you know, shit getting tons of likes and he posted on the story. Shit currently of, like, you know, guns and money and smoking blunts, etc. Um, but after he recently had an attempt on his life, I saw the video, you know, somebody came shooting at him and he chased after them, shooting back. And got, you know, an attempted murder charge on him. And in the aftermath, you know, he was speaking very openly about, like, PTSD and wanting to help out the kids. And, like, I had a pre... And I actually... I went and spoke at his bond hearing for his trial, trying to get him out of jail. Because I had worked with him previously. He had, like, a water gun fight for kids in his neighborhood, you know, who live in this real rundown part of town. He, like, was real pivotal and getting this street renamed after this lady that got shot and killed like had already been using his clout for like these little acts of like goodness and kindness in the neighborhood even if he's still ultimately like very very you know involved in the streets and so with the social I say all that because like with a social media following like that like uh, they were able to organize the kinds of things they were doing in the 60s without any without like, like printed newspapers that they delivered door to door you know if you got somebody that like use the social media really definitely you can organize a ton of people in a short period of time you know last summer i was pretty much just posting on instagram like yo i'm sh-, like we shutting down the street and like you have like a hundred people show up like ah, people i don't even know um like so if you use not only those like street connections of like the people that you roll with and like be out here doing grimes and whatnot like but also the broader following that you might have as somebody that is you know an artist that is kind of repping that sort of life i don't know i feel like you actually get a lot done and i'm hoping this cat like if he avoids going to jail for a long time could actually use his platform and his connections to do that kind of thing like to mike's point is like everything you just said takes like a like uh back in the day it required a lot of work because like you're saying you are talking about having to put up pamphlets and Hand, hand out pamphlets and put up, you know, 
things in newspapers and, and actually physically be out there in the world and doing stuff. So, you know, so, like I said, there's just a lot of obstacles in the way right now to for young people in general, you know, which in a more conspiratorial mind, you could be like, that's a plot. They got us so comfortable so that we don't <laughs> so, so that we're just all comfortable oh, enough definitely. that we don't rock the boat and shit like that. Um, I, oh, definitely. Yeah. Which is honestly another reason why, like, folks, like, running drugs and, and shit might be better positioned to agitate for political change than somebody working mm-hmm. two jobs, 7.25 an hour. Because, like, if you, had, if you had work 60 hours a week, you're not, like, showing up at City Hall. You're not, like, organizing a free breakfast program. But if you're just sitting on stacks because, like, you just flipped, a like, a co-op today... Like, you have a lot of free time on your hands <laughs> to, like, go do good help, you know, go help people. Um, not that, like, I want people, you know, working in the black market economy, but, like, that uh, there is that. So turn around and use it for good. You got a mad free time on yeah. your hands, man. So I don't know. I, I guess, I mean, I, it's not, I think that, um, it's not that I hold anything against... Obviously, I don't I don't hold anything against anybody for having to do what they got to do, black market economy and stuff like that. It's more so just like I, I don't think that, you know, I mean, I don't think that there should be like an arbitrary expectation that like people's motivations that everybody who's in its motivation is like something that's altruistic and not just like a personal thing you know what i'm saying like like i I, sure yeah i don't think that i don't think everybody who's in a street gang by virtue of by virtue of their criminal enterprise being something that's not corporate or elite meaning that by that's just that it's good does that make sense no it doesn't i don't know me too i'm sure it makes sense i just didn't i mean it's just like I thought we were saying about it's not altruism. Like, there is a certain self-serving aspect yeah. to it, right? That's what you're yeah, trying to get like, at. Like, so I think that... Yeah, sorry. No, no, no I mean, that, that's exactly it. It's like, I mean, there's a there's a self-serving aspect of it. So it's just like, what type of personality does that attract? You know? Good point. Mm. Counterpoint is that they're in gangs as well as, like, you know, we see in groups like the Black Panthers historically... There's this strong sense of what I'm going to make up and say is like collective ego and that like people are like, I will go kill you if you shoot at my people. Like I'm going to get money for my people. Um, And you see with like the Young Lords, the Black Panthers, they're like, we're rapping for our people by any means necessary. Armed struggle to fight off, you know, any sort of like attacks. You know, we're going to defend our people against the government. So that same sort of like, like collective ego mindset of like, all right, I got my people and I'm going to defend them against anything can be leveraged to like, okay, well then let's get people housing. Like rather than just retaliate when some other set shooting at y'all, like, why don't you direct that ire towards like the authorities that are, you know, y'all can't get no healthcare. Y'all can't get no food. Y'all can't get no education. If you're going to, if you're going to just like in a very egotistic, like self-serving way, rep for your people no matter what. So I feel like that's another way there's like a pre-existing underlying like condition on the ground that like might be serving for trying to turn some of these like y'all seen trying to like y'all seen New Jack City I don't know turn this into something positive yeah okay like when I was, How I re- dare you even at? I, I know, was right? Six years old. I am so I'm offended. Fuck a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I was Bitch. six years old when I saw New Jack City in the theater. My uncle took me to see that shit. It's like I I remember 
being a little kid watching the scene where Nino Brown was handing out the turkeys and like there was no aspect of that that had me feeling like okay so Nino Brown's like a good guy or like oh he has a heart of gold like no I think it's still the bad guy like that like him handing out the turkeys wasn't because he was a good guy that cared about the neighborhood it was because he was trying to coerce people into supporting him you know what I'm saying so it's like it's like for for every for everybody who's caught up in it who is like a victim of circumstance you know, you got some people who are in positions of leadership in that world that, you know, if you gave them a different background, a different educational, you know, like circumstance, they would be the evil corporate boss that we hate. You know what I'm saying? Just because their their shit played out differently and they're heading up a street gang doesn't, you know what I mean? I, I don't think that that, like, just that simple fact means that, okay, like these guys probably have a lot of the same sort of uh, sentiments that I do. Does that make sense? I don't know, man. I think that people that are in street gangs are probably, if you look at it, they're probably the easiest dudes to flip into that mentality. If you think about it, right? Like, and I'm, I'm not talking about like some fucking street gang in Marietta that's like 75% white kids that grew up with money. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like real street gangs who grew up poor who join street gangs because they don't really see a way out or they don't really see a, a viable way to get food. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, sure. There are, of course, those people that are just like, oh, I just want to make a bunch of bread. But if you're in a certain situation and you don't see a way to feed your family, street gangs are a viable option, right? But if you can go to those people and say, okay, well, you joined the street gang because you didn't see a viable option. Well, there's a whole bunch of other people that look at it the same exact way. They don't have viable options either. And if all of you guys get together and try to form something, you can actually make a real change. I think that that is possible. And I do think that those street gang dudes would probably be pretty easy to flip that way. I think that nobody's willing to take the chance so, to go talk to them, either because they're scared or they think they're stupid. They think they won't understand. It's, it's so something, what type you know of what figure I mean? do you think would be needed to do something like that? Do you think it needs to be like a rapper? A rapper, somebody, yeah, with like yeah. with like actual street credibility. Because another problem you often see, or at least I see in my work, is that like you often have like other community leader, leaders like moralizing to these folks why they need to go get a job, or or right. simply or simply just put the guns down, which like is admirable. But like if you have people, you know, like trying to come kill you, mm-hmm. like I, you know, I understand why you stay strapped. I wish you didn't have to be, but like this is where we're at. And so, yeah, you need somebody with street credibility. But to respond to Max's other point, like, I, I have found him, found that most political actors are bad people to a certain degree. <laughs> like, you got you got Nancy Pelosi out here defending, you know, you got, you got Congress people trading stocks. You got these niggas on Wall Street, like, getting everybody's houses taken back by the banks. Like, uh, you, you, like there's always there's always some nefarious, like, either intention or... Uh, imp- uh, uh, effects of like what a lot of people in the political sphere are doing to a degree um and so like i guess i would rather have people being most impacted by the fuckery of the folks at the top trying to make things better than purely leaving it to the folks that are, are or, or who are doing crimes or doing things that should be illegal but aren't crimes because they make the laws mm-hmm. you know get away with all the shit they're doing so either side i mean like no matter what happens with like the future of this country it's going to be decided by quote unquote bad people. <laughs> but which bad, you got to pick which bad people. So, so, uh, 
folks out here who's like grieving loved ones that got shot in a drive-by and like you know selling crack or whatever because they you know dropped out of high school like I, you know maybe we should give them a chance to help articulate what their community needs so that we can disrupt some of the violence happening out here but anyway let's go on because we've been talking about a lot about like can an, a gang today do what the young lords did but what do they do so um it's all got started during mayor daily we talked about mayor mayor daily in the uh the greg dick gregory episode because um dick gregory ran against mayor daily one time but uh mayor chicago um started having all these urban renewal projects you know where they're getting federal money to tear down slums etc and build like nice shiny new shit so one of their projects resulted in puerto ricans in the lincoln park neighborhood and several mexican communities getting evicted um, from what became prime real estate areas near the Loop, Lakefront, Old Town, and Lakeview neighborhoods. Okay, so so in response, like um, the uh, members of the Young Lords straight up ransacked and closed the Department of Uber, Urban Renewal Office in Chicago, telling the Neighborhood Association that was in favor of the gentrification that they would permit no further meetings on urban renewal. Um, until people of color were included on the board. But the implication, I'm assuming, that given their access to weapons and willingness to throw the fuck down, that they were willing to enforce this by violence if necessary. So, like, y'all ain't doing no more urban renewal over here until we have a say in the political process. Like, we're not playing. (laughs) So that's kind of how they got started and, like, an approach they would often take with confronting, like, figures of authority um, to get what the people needed, you know? So the movement, you know, expanded from Chicago to include uh, chapters in 30 different cities, including New York City, Philadelphia, one in Connecticut, New Jersey, one in Boston, Milwaukee, um, and then a couple in, in uh, California, and then one in Puerto Rico okay. as well. Though the the Chicago branch, um, you know, as as the movement became national, that remained their national headquarters. Um, Around this time. So, oh, I actually, this, this is the part I meant to read oh. earlier, and then I read now, yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I've talked about urban renewal on the show in re- reference to there was an urban renewal project here in Athens where a bunch of black families got kicked out and their houses burned down so they could build, like, student dorms. And so what's interesting to me learning this aspect of the Young Lord's history is that, like, with Linentown here in Athens, they actually did have black people on the board of the, of the urban renewal, like, committee or whatever that was like, oh, yeah, that shit's a slum. Tear that shit down. We don't give a fuck. Like they like the government handpicked pretty much like, you know, coons to be able to like sign off on, you know, tearing this neighborhood down and um, kicking everybody out, destroying all these families. So, I mean, I think it's just I think I just think it's interesting that like the what was I going to say? Like, I guess it reinforces to me, at least my understanding of what happened here, that, you know, black faces in high places doesn't necessarily guarantee like political freedom for the people they are you know purported to represent i don't know how this worked out for the young lords i'm assuming not well because their neighborhood got tore up anyway but hey they tried and they at least like <clears throat> were forceful about it they weren't like oh well you know we'll try to show up at the meetings and see what's up they were like no y'all are not y'all are not having any more meetings until we're invited and we get our people in on the conversation which so you know that last i mean i don't want to harp on the same thing it's like that last last thing that we read is like who's gonna do that now <laughs> like i mean or, or like which which rapper is gonna is gonna like motivate cats to organize like that now 
because like because we we had you know oh, when, no. when we were doing when we were doing the we were doing the year end episode last week mike and i was you know we're getting a bunch of stories together to recap of things that happened during the year and one of the angles that i wanted to take was oh man let me um just find a bunch of rappers commenting on the last year and a half that we've had right i really couldn't find it man like i re- like it no i'm dead serious it's like if you were to just take in like and again you know I, people always get get on me whenever i'm like harping on mainstream hip-hop because it's like i get it there's way more hip-hop that exists in the world i'm sure mc whatever the hell was like talking about all the stuff you know what i'm saying but like the mainstream is important because like it acts as a de facto representation of you know of what hip-hop is to to the the world at large it has a bigger reach if you were to just go by mainstream hip-hop it's like motherfuckers live in a different world yo like the country didn't just go through a pandemic like there's no like weird fucked up political tension going on it's like you know it's like they're completely oblivious to it at least on a on the aspect that i think most people are going to hear their thoughts which is their music you know what i'm saying if somebody's talking again given the caveat that if somebody's talking about something in an interview somebody's talking about something on a podcast that's all cool but i'm i'm of the mindset that more people are going to hear you cover an issue in your music, if you're a rapper or a musician, more people are going to hear you address that shit by your music than any other form of doing it. So it's just like, just going by that, and I understand you can take it with a grain of salt, but just going by that, there seems to be a lack of interest in hip-hop for some of these issues that it seems like an extremely daunting task to, to find a figure or figures that could you know, galvanize youth to, to doing something like the Young Lords are doing. I mean, I think one thing... Mike, Mike, did you want to say something? I'll, I'll go after you. Go ahead. I mean, I think one thing today that might be a barrier to, like, this kind of organizing is that, like, the ways they fuck you are a lot more, like, creeping rather than blunt and, just like, immediate. So, like, Urban Renewal, they were like, hey, we're going to come tear down your entire neighborhood. And so, of course, niggas were like, what? No! <laughs> Don't do that! But, like, now it's like, oh, the property taxes just go up and up every year and then some guy shows up at your house and then your neighbor's house and then your auntie's house like oh we'll pay $150,000 for your house in cash on the spot and then gradually the neighborhood just gets whiter and whiter and then the white people start calling the cops and then like y'all in your house party and then all y'all in jail as opposed to just like blatant we kicking all y'all niggas out so it's hard to keep up with it's hard to figure out where to like you know stick a Stick a pin in like this is what we're fighting for. Even thinking about the p- pandemic, like what should we even ask for right now? Things are so bleak and terrible. But like, do we ask for like free rapid tests at home? Do we ask for a national shutdown? Like, what do we even do? Because it's not as cut and dry. It's just like we want to end yeah. the war <laughs> yeah. in Vietnam or something. So I don't no, know. You're, you're definitely right. Yeah, I was just gonna gonna touch on the. Um, And of course, we don't have to stay on this because we could probably do a whole show on mainstream rappers not giving a fuck about certain things. But I mean, at this point, me being, you know, a a 40 plus year old guy, I don't I don't look to mainstream rappers anymore to do shit just because I understand how it goes. You know, these dudes might have grown up in far worse conditions than I did. But once they get to that money level, all of that shit gets forgotten. And it sucks. It totally sucks. 
but I see it happening constantly. So, I mean, I'm not looking for little Baby or, you know, YB and Cordae. And there's nothing against them at all. But I'm not looking to those dudes to actually do shit anymore. I'm not surprised you couldn't find mainstream rappers talking about these conditions because to a lot of them, these conditions don't exist because it doesn't affect them. You know, like when when Wayne said, yeah, Black Lives Matter is not anything I have to worry about. Black Lives Matter, yeah, it matters to my yeah, bitch or something, something stupid, something stupid yeah, like yeah. that he said. You know, um, same thing with ASAP Rocky. And this is nothing against these guys because I like both artists. But... You know, they they didn't connect to these movements because it had nothing to do with them in their brains at that moment. You know, they're rich. They have basically fucking financed out of being, (laughs) you know, and good for good for them. I wish I could. I wish I could do that sometimes. But, you know, I think if you're looking for mainstream rappers right now to be the, the figureheads, it's it's not gonna happen, and that's what sucks because yeah, that's what I we mean, need. Exactly. You know, you know? Just to clarify, it's like it's it's less of an expectation for me and more so just like an observation. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like it's yeah, like it's, yeah, it's, sure. it's, that that's all I mean. It's just like damn the 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 climate is just right for that sort of thing. That if somebody were to take that mantle seriously. They could probably do some damage out there, you know what I'm saying? It's like, but who who's gonna be that cat to do it though? The... Well, I, I would love say, it if, like, oh, so go ahead. I would say that's why you need these local ass rappers that are like medium famous, like they famous in their neighborhood and like in the city, but like they're not they're not on a level of money where they don't give a fuck about also anyone that, anymore. That, but they they have, have financed themselves out I, of niggerdom. I think effectively. there has to be like a, a resignation to that fact though, because is if if the if the motivation though is eventually like. Like, hey, I'm I'm local now, but eventually I want to be like a superstar. Then I think that will affect their decision making in that end too. But if somebody is like, yo, I'm I'm like I'm I'm the king of my neighborhood, and I'm gonna like ride for for, for my neighborhood, whether it's like musically or you know organization wise, then then I think you're working with something. But if somebody's got stardom in their eyes, like Mike was saying, it's like everybody's. You know, I really like that that phrase. Everybody's trying to finance themselves out of nigadom. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I'd love it if Young Thug one day just woke up and was like, yeah, I'm going to be a revolutionary in a different way. He's already a revolutionary in certain the, ways. Yeah. But if he's just like... You don't remember huh? the video? Oh, no. In, in 20, I, I forget the name so. of the song, but in, 20, in 2014, uh, during the Ferguson uh, protests and stuff... Young Thug came out with a video that, like, the video was him and a bunch of people, like, marching in the street, like, Ferguson style. And, like, all of, all of the press, like, all of the, the you know, the, I think at the time Up Rocks was still shit. Like, you know, all, all of the blogs that were posting it up were like, uh, check out Young Thug's new political video. Young Thug touching politics. So I listened to the song. And it's, pe- it's people marching. Like, Young Thug definitely is dressed like a Black Panther marching. But the song is like, oh, I beat that pussy up. I eat it, I skeet it, I beat it. I mean, you know what I mean? And like, oh, the song has no. nothing to do with the imagery that you're seeing. So, like... <laughs> See, I feel like what we need is the opposite. We need the video where everybody's got the AKs and the ski masks, and they're, like, j- j- dancing on dancing on the car, and everybody's twerking, and the lyrics are like... 
Yeah, let's get yeah. the bakers and hang them in the square. Mm-hmm. Like, what See, you're not, that, you know, I do like, not. I don't actually endorse problem, that. I'm just saying that's like, it's gonna. It's like I don't think that attitude exists. Like at that level of hip hop, that attitude of like, yo, we gotta get the bankers. It's like I don't think there's, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't think that attitude was coming for like a hundred years, yeah. Like I, I think, and that's that's what, yeah. So when I was saying earlier that the 1960s are over and just never coming back, I think what's missing now that they had then was like widespread revolutionary consciousness, like just in like in the streets. There was all kind of protest movements, and it was really easy to like just you know by the by the wayside whatever develop like a sophisticated political analysis of what's wrong and what you need to do to get it right like we just don't have that nowadays so it's like people want to help little baby you know trying to help different people speaking out you know j cole with his song last summer you know just expressing his self-consciousness about knowing not knowing what to do in the movement like it's just because niggas don't know because like there's just not a spirit in the air of like of just you know revolutionary ideas empowering people to take action to make their lives better and believing it's possible please, so that's why people's out here we, being dumb we need a whole bunch of like we need a whole bunch of dudes to make more albums like uh rbg mm. which is my favorite dead press album yeah and unfortunately they kind of disappeared after that album they got, like, got like, co pro <laughs> i mean I, I always wondered what the hell happened now, i ran into uh into into Stickman at Whole Foods. I wanted to ask him like I was I was starstruck, so I couldn't get that far. But I wanted to be like, bro, like, <laughs> between me and you, <laughs> what the fuck happened? But like when you're talking about that young thug shit, where you know he's marching in the streets, but the music is beat the pussy up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's like when you listen to RBG, whereas they're making this almost party music, but it's talking yeah. about shit is, like is that the one that had yeah, hell- let's go steal credit cards for the you know for the revolution. Is that the one that had <laughs> hell yeah? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. yes. You're absolutely yes. right. Hell, hell, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Was a BET uncut video. Yes. Like that, that scattered ass, yes. scattered ass and booty all in the video, and the song is about revolution. <laughs> the song is completely about the song is about stealing credit yeah. cards. <laughs> And acting like you're this white dude, but you're gonna use the money to fund the revolution. Like this is what I'm talking. Like, is, I'm we need more of that shit. I'm serious. The videos, like big at big booty porn stars in the trap house while he's rapping mm-hmm. about that shit. Yo, Paul. Hell yeah. Yo, ain't you hungry, my nigga? Yeah, that's what we need, well, man. I mean, you know, yeah, and, and here we before are. Before we go on, get back into the young lurch. Please, nobody get in my comments about like, oh, but you know, they're young. They're young. You know, because people use that young, young excuse. Like, Hampton was killed at exactly, 25. The, the, like, the civil rights shit the that, that we're talking up. about, that we're making the comparison to, these motherfuckers were way younger than the people that were, that were talking. Yeah, were none, of these, none of these cats saw yeah. 40. None of these like, cats right. saw 40. How old was yeah. Fred Hampton again when he died? 25, 25. when he died. So that means that all the shit, that means all the shit that Fred Hampton was known for, like the, the shit that Fred Hampton did, that made it a big deal when he died and made it like everyone feel like a huge sense of loss. That motherfucker was doing when he was like 22 and 21. 17, yeah. 18. Like, um, come on now. Like, let's, let's, let's stop with that. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, 
what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. You know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, let's move on and talk a little bit more about what the Young Lords actually went out here and did. So one of their fame, most famed tactics is this, they undertook a series of occupations to get their demands met and to use spaces for their programs. So, for example, the Young Lords of Chicago staged an occupation of the Armitage Avenue United Methodist Church and set up programs including community meals and classes in what, inside what they were calling the People's Church. This is back in May of 1969. Uh, United Methodist pastor Reverend Bruce Johnson um, of the Northside Cooperative Ministry worked with them to obtain funds to support their programs, actually. So they had the support of some of the clergy. And the, the, the building actually remained a church, but also served as the Young Lords National Headquarters for nearly two years. Um, in New York, their office up there followed suit and took over the first Spanish United Methodist Church in East Harlem to demand that the church get more involved in programs for the poor. Um, and over 100 members were arrested in their two-week takeover. Um, you know, but thankfully, mo- like, bloodshed was avoided. But in both cities, many clergy sided with the Young Lords. Um, Reverend David York, who worked with the New York office, even saying, if Jesus were alive today, he would be a Young Lord. <laughs> 
So my question for y'all is, you know, we've been talking a lot about whether something like this is possible today. But this extends as well to the possibility of an alliance between the clergy and gangs. Like, it, that, that to me seems like... I'll, like n- n- no, <laughs> like. But what do y'all think? Is that even is that? Do you mean like? Today? Do you mean now or you talk? Yeah, like yeah, like now, like. The <laughs> clergy are the gangs these days. They make they make no, everything. They make it dirty money just like everybody else, bruh. So yeah, but like you know, you got church programs out here giving out food, doing community meals, trying to get kids, you know, backpacks and clothes for school. Like, do you think that if they saw? Like the bloods out here doing the same thing, and the bloods rolled up and was like, "Yo, we're trying to use your church basement to like do free breakfasts for kids three days a week." Would the you? I mean, I, I don't want to generalize because like there's many different kinds of like theology out there, but like, could you foresee something like that even being possible? Yeah, point yeah. I mean, if the, if they were doing it, yeah, I I, I think so. Yeah, if, if they, they were, were doing, doing it, it like yeah. you know, and, and I mean, even just to be fair, like I'm pretty sure you know. We, you know, if we really sat down and looked, we could probably fill up a sheet full of examples of uh, bloods and crips and you know street gangs actually doing positive stuff in their community and getting the support of the community. Yeah, you know, it, it might be on like a, a, a real, real localized level, localized scale, and stuff like that. But I'm sure we could find that. It's just a matter of like, what do you do to amplify that, or what do you do to expand that? That's the that's the question. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I. Speaking specifically about the the church, um, them occupying the church was probably one of my favorite things that the young lords did. And when they were just like, yeah, it's because this church was doing nothing for the community. So we took it over and now we have medical training and free breakfast. Like that was the dopest shit to me. Today, could I see that happening? No. I think pastor would call <laughs> the cops so fucking quick. It wouldn't even be funny. I think that most churches, and of course, I don't want to say all, but most churches, I think they wouldn't even sit down and have a conversation with these guys. And that's that's the biggest problem. Because if we really are talking about Jesus and all this shit, yeah, Jesus would hang out with the young lords. But, you know, Pastor Fowler ain't hanging out with the young lords. You know what I'm saying? He's not going to have anything to do with that. I guess I should have made clear that oftentimes these relationships between the clergy and the young lords were coerced. So, like, they would come occupy mm-hmm. your church, mm-hmm. and after a while, the clergy would be like, you know what? They're not so bad. And, like, then start to roll with them and, like, support them and help <laughs> them. But, like, it wasn't always just, like, they showed up and, like, nailed the doors of the church shut, and the pastor was like, sick, let's go, let's go. <laughs> you know, like, oftentimes it was, like, a forced relationship that ultimately, like, evolved into an amicable one. Well, I mean, so. that's, what, that's what the young lords did, is, you know, is put that initial pressure on them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, you, you can't avoid us because we're... We're in your home. <laughs> you got to deal with us. Yeah. They were doing things that the churches were supposed to be doing themselves. Yeah. Like, why are you here if it's not to serve the community? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's funny. Like, real quick, when um, one of the biggest arguments I ever got into when my band was on tour was we played in a place in South Carolina. And we were driving through the neighborhood. And I noticed, like, every single house was just fucking dilapidated. It was mm-hmm. just a wreck. They had one church in the neighborhood, and I swear, you should have seen this shit. It looked like, it was just like an amazing, beautiful mansion of a place. And when we played, I said something about that. I was like, I was like, the the people that live in this community, do you guys not find it weird that you are living in squalor, but the one 
the one building in the neighborhood that is actually clean and pristine is the church. And I was like, is are the people from the church actually coming to your neighborhoods and trying to help you keep your neighborhood clean? Or is only the neighborhood serving the church? I was like, that's fucking weird. And man, I I got ate the fuck up, bro. Like mm. these dudes, they were not having it. They were just like flipping. I was like, I don't understand what I'm saying. That's so crazy. And I look at the same type of shit today. I'll drive through these neighborhoods. And I'm just like, damn, this is crazy. But the church just looks like everyone is doing their part to make sure that it's clean. But I guarantee you, pastor don't give a fuck about the neighborhood around that church. Well, and this is one thing that's challenged, you know, my faith throughout my adulthood, particularly, you know, after like 2018 when like my aunt got killed and like we would go to church and they'd be like, well, it's a part of, you know, it's part of the plan and shit. I was like, fuck no, this is a policy failure. Like, you know what? And so like I've heard oftentimes by folks that, you know, compare the militancy of of religious figures in like the civil rights era versus today when folks are sort of falling back on like, you know, be good in this life, but just like chill good because like heaven awaits on that other side. So all the injustices you face, like you will be washed clean of you when you die versus like you don't we don't have to be living like this now like you know to live a good life in service of the people and the lord is to like get out and fight for something better you ain't gotta wait till you get to heaven and so i feel like that is that is like a an extension of that mindset you're talking about or perhaps the basis of it of people are just like it's cool i'm just gonna like be nice to everyone till i go to heaven and it's like that is that's it (laughs) is that all that's required (laughs) that's really that's all you got but I mean, people—it's people paid a heavy price for fucking with the young lords. Um, David, I think you mentioned him earlier. What's his name? Uh, Reverend David. Keep getting lost and keep getting lost. Okay, wait. You said what? Reverend David. Okay, no. So, so no, no, no. That nigga. What's his name? David uh, York. Nope, different guy. Sorry. Uh, this. <laughs> <laughs> September 29th, nineteen sixty-nine. Reverend Bruce. And his wife, Eugenia Ranzier Johnson, that were fucking with the young lords, helping them out. Oh, yeah, it was a guy that helped fundraise for them at the at the uh, People's Church in Armitage Avenue. Yeah, so that guy and his wife got stabbed to death in their home, and the case has never been solved. Did, I mean, what, what did they think that the, was the reason? What do, you, what do you mean? What do you think the reason well, was? I mean, like... They, they, they got COINTELPRO. So, I mean, you think, like, the FBI 100%. stabbed them to death? Oh, oh yeah, or... Yeah. Somebody, you know. Damn. Yeah. I never heard about that. That's crazy. They weren't even the only ones. There's another guy that got uh, transferred to Los Angeles from, I guess, maybe either the New York or the Chicago office he was working with that also got killed, like, killed as well. And that's also a cold case. They never found out who did it. Well, I mean, that goes into what you were saying earlier about, like, the the acts against them being a lot more blatant than it is now, than the creep that's happening now. Yeah. So it's like, if they're doing, like, obviously, you know, you've got the Cointel, the Cointel Pro, but... I mean, if it's getting down into straight-up assassinations and shit, you know, it's like, it doesn't get any more hand-fisted than that shit. Yeah, and I mean, that's another reason why I feel like gangs might be a site for, like, this kind of revolutionary activity. Because these niggas already out here ready to but, die. okay. They out here shooting at each other, like, all this crazy shit. Like, yeah, I'll die for my squad. It's like, this is something that has happened before. If y'all really bound that life, you're trying to put it all on the line See, for something. Put it on the line for something good. The question is like, how about that life are they though? And we've we've mentioned we've talked about this before, and we've talked about it with Mike C Town and shit. But like, you know, the lack of pushback within 
from just like the ur- I guess the the urban community at large against like some of these very direct like physical threats from like right wing groups and right wing gangs themselves. We just did the episode last week where we we're talking about um uh you know Patriot Front and stuff like that. You know the Patriot Front, the the Nazi group that marched in Washington a couple weeks ago. You know they're suspected of like having an organized campaign to spread COVID during the uh, through black communities during the pandemic. Like they, like they found from their like their their internal documents and, and chatter and shit like that. Like that was something that they were doing, like organizing to do was to go into Chicago, go to New Orleans and like actually actively like spread. And I'm not like talking about shit like, like some of these dudes who are involved with this shit have Twitter accounts and YouTube channels that get more views and more likes than a lot of rappers we might talk about. You know what I'm saying? And it's like and. And my thing is, it's like, like the, the reason it makes it difficult for me to imagine some of this organization that the um, young lords were doing, the reason it's hard for me to imagine it now is because, like you said, on just the base level of what you guys are already doing, which is beefing with each other and ready for war and ready to fight and shit like that, it's like, that shit's not a threat. They're, they're not doing that shit in a way that's a threat to anybody but their own community. Because they're not like, hey, we're beefing with Nick Fuentes and these fucking neo-Nazis that are, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm not hearing any, any, I'm not seeing anybody make any videos where they're shirtless, waving the AK around like, fuck these Nazi niggas, I'm going to get you, motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? But you'll see that against, like, other rappers and other people that got beef with on Instagram and shit like that. So it's like, I don't think the motivation to push back against some of these external forces is there on even, like, a, a basic physical front, let alone to get it to be into like some intellectual. Hey, we've got to organize and do this, and you know what I mean. All I'm saying is these cats are already living an imminent threat of incarceration every day, of going to jail every single day for the shit they're doing, of dying every single day for the shit they're doing. So I agree that like the again the political analysis of like who the enemy is isn't there. But, like, if you already are living on the margins, like, going to get picked up by the cops any day now, like, like, why not engage in civil disobedience? Like, your life is just at risk. I, agree. I don't know. But I agree. It's not there. It's not there right now, at least from, you know, we don't know about I don't it. Know. I, I, I think that these guys are, are, are typically thinking about tomorrow and the next day and maybe next week. So they're not thinking as far as you know white supremacy yeah they're thinking about like yo i gotta i gotta feed my family tomorrow Mm -hmm. or i might get shot on thursday so i mean i don't i don't know how feasible it is for these guys to just one day wake up and be like all right yeah let's go fuck with adam waffen like they're not gonna think that way but i it would take someone having to go in there and really sit down with these dudes and and get them to understand like these problems that you're having in your neighborhood are because there are bigger problems outside of your neighborhood that are affecting your neighborhood. But who's going to take the time to do that? Me. <laughs> and I love you for it. <laughs> I'm just playing, baby. But, uh... <laughs> no, I mean, I, I hear you, Mike. I, I'm not trying to get co-insult pro neither, I, so. I hear you, Mike, and I, I, don't, I, I don't think you're wrong. I don't disagree with you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, I... I Everything you said is right. It's just, it's just like, 
it's it's beef though, you know. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just that I I think that's probably the biggest like one of the biggest like surprise developments to the social media age for me is like who people choose to respond to and stuff like that. Because on one hand, you're right. Like a lot of these guys are thinking about living tomorrow and they're not thinking about these giant big galaxy brain ideas and shit like that. But at the same time, it's like you know if. Somebody leaves the wrong comment on somebody's Instagram. You know what I mean? It's like motherfuckers can work up the time to, to respond and blah, blah, blah. So for me, it's just, it's weird because it's not even about thinking about concepts of like white supremacy or not. Like this is no different than, damn, how come more more cats aren't like, how, how come more cats didn't reference George Zimmerman? You know, like, like, why isn't he more of like a, a, a figure that's like referenced that people hate? Like, again, going back to the episode where we we're talking about like uh, rappers lines and maybe I'm harping too much on rap with this. You guys think so? It's, I don't think you're harping too much on rap. I just think that um, I think we're making it sound like it's a bit easier, easier to do oh yeah i think that that these guys are are really only worried about what's directly affecting their neighborhoods and a a lot of them either don't have the time or don't have the resources to go and learn about how these other things are actually factually affecting their neighborhoods so when you say like oh well why aren't they you know talking about this group and that group because that group's not directly in their neighborhood saying i'm going to kill you you know White supremacist groups are not going to march into these areas and talk shit. They're just not. So these street gangs are not worried about them right now. They're worried about the next street gang that's going to cause problems. I I guess what I'm saying is I think that from a strategic level, they probably should be worried about those those like like their street gangs. Because, you know what I'm saying? Because I guess that's what I'm saying at the end of the day. It's like... They should probably look at them like they're street gangs and beef with them accordingly. But again, I'm not advocating anybody beefing with each other and blah, blah, blah. Like, there should be real... Huh? Why not? Be- because Why not? there's consequences that come with that. And I'm not I'm not going to yes, sit here and tell somebody should... else that they should go get into some shit and face some consequences that I'm not going to Oh, that you're go not going to? I, so I'm, oh. I'm not sitting here like, yeah, man, I'm about to go do a drive-by on some Nazis, so how come y'all aren't doing it? Like, no, I'm, I'm not here advocating for that sort of shit. It's just, it Man, seems like I a curious omission to me. It just <laughs> does. It- the Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. 
I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's the other reason why I think it's hard for people to even imagine is that because we don't learn about the history of groups like this, people don't realize you can actually win something more than like a meal on the table tomorrow. So like the Young Lords, they did an occupation um, at McCormick Theological Seminary um, that won resident $650,000 for low income housing. Like people can't even imagine like actually being able to achieve something like that. They uh, for for four months um, they camped out at what they called the People's Park, took it over. Um, this is a spot over at Halstead and Armitage Avenue, um, and they prevented the construction of fucking for-profit tennis courts on land that was used for low-income housing. So like I feel like if people knew that you could actually win things if you fought, like they'd be more willing to try. But like they purposefully don't really teach you about this kind of history because they don't want you to know that you can win stuff. Yep. 100%. So yeah, I mean, I agree though that that that, that like somebody like that some sort of education needs to take place if anything like this is even remotely possible. But um, what, what type of what anyway? Type of so the young Lords, program do you think? Like I mean, like what type of education do you think uh, could be implemented to? I mean, they had all kinds of classes. I'm not sure what the content was, but I met, imagine it had to do with like political analysis and organizing. So, so that's what you like, mean, like there should be like something like neighborhood. Yeah. Lives. So like the Black Panthers, I know a little bit more about than the Young Lords, but like they would they had their newspaper, so they had like articles in there about various you know organizing projects of theirs and and reasons why everything's so fucked. You know, like explaining the relationship of the government to capital into imperialism, etc. To like help people understand why things were they were the way they were. Um, they also, you know, just give out books, books to people and people just, you know, have have reading clubs where people just discuss books and things like that. I mean, I don't really have the answer, but um, 
I, I believe it's possible. I mean, think about, for example, in the uprising last summer. So many people were just learning from like Instagram, like Instagram infographics and shit, like using social media to create materials, you know, going live on Instagram, talking to people about issues um, as a new way to engage in that kind of mass political education. I think could turn things around, but. But um, so the young lords in New York and Chicago continued to grow in influence and numbers until about 1983. And they joined up with joined forces with uh, Fred Hampton, as y'all know, and the Young Patriots organization, which interestingly was a white working class group that had once used the Confederate flag as their symbol, but came together with the Young Lords and the Black Panthers under the Rainbow Coalition to fight poverty and discrimination together. But the powers that be certainly didn't like that, because two months later, Fred Hampton got killed in the infamous FBI raid, which I swear to God, another thing they don't teach you about history is that whenever there's like a multiracial movement for change of working class people, that's when they start killing people. (laughs) That's like Martin Luther King Jr. We're coming up on his, you know, uh, his day uh, on the 17th. Like they they killed him when he was starting to organize white and black people together. Uh, all, you know, the, the whole multiracial working class to demand like economic freedom. Fucking Rainbow Coalition comes together. Boom. Suddenly Fred Hampton's dead. Like there's nothing that like the powers that be fear more than people putting aside like racial differences or whatever to like fight for shit like even if you look at you know the history of i guess you could say like um you know let's let's take unions for example like um when they started to have better labor protections um i think it was in the new deal era they specifically excluded like domestic workers and farm workers that were disproportionately black because if everybody got the same stuff if the white and the black people got the same stuff the white working class would like flip out but they needed to keep us divided and conquered, et cetera. Cut this out. This was a bad example. But um, but I'm telling you, whenever, whenever it's they bring that, it's not a bad example though. It really isn't. They gotta keep us fighting each other, you know, in order because that then that then it's a real threat. We have people coming together across color lines. Well, the one point I wanted to make about that, and it might be kind of off topic, so we might cut it out. But like, I see a lot of people like now, like a lot of leftists and shit now who make that point but it's like i don't think like the like the black panthers and fred hampton and them like they were making these like multi-racial coalitions and stuff like that and putting aside racial differences but it's not like the black panthers were like actively trying to go like work with white people who hated black people you know these niggas had like, a confederate yeah, flag but, i mean as their yeah, symbol but, i mean con- the confederate flag was their symbol but they themselves were not like a white supremacist group it wasn't like a white supremacist group was like ah oh, you know what let's work with the black panthers now i mean but they didn't would, fuck with black people what, what would you I mean, call I don't an organization know that. today I'm, 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 I'm asking like they, they, they were like actively like we hate we don't like black people but we're gonna work with no, the black well, panthers what would you call an organization to, what would you call an organization today that is trying to promote the interests of white people well i mean what we're talking about too it's but, not I, mean, that- I think that we got to add the context of the times now into that. You know what I'm saying? Like, if if you're if if you're if we're like recognizing that it's like this was like a like a group back then, and comparing it with a group now, I don't know. I don't know. If, but I mean, so again, I, don't I, I, I honestly don't like, know. I'm not saying this like to be like facetious or to like make like a contrarian point. I honestly yeah. don't know. So if you guys tell me that this was like a full on, 
we we're a white supremacist group and it's like oh we're gonna make this truce with the black panthers even though we hate you guys and we hate black people we'll make this truce with you for now if that was what they were on then i don't know then in that case i'm wrong you know what i mean but i don't think they were like that you know what i'm saying because i hear a lot of lefties now trying to get motherfuckers to work with the alt-right and you know, we should we should work with the proud boys and shit like that and it's like mm, i don't think i don't think fred hampton was working with the proud boys type of organization Nah, that's totally different. I think that the Young Patriots, <clears throat> they weren't necessarily a white supremacist group, but they certainly were not a group that was running around looking for black people to work with. You know what I'm saying? Like, if a random black person just happened to show up at one of their meetings, I'm sure they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing here? You know? I think that... I think that, look, like, imagine if... Imagine if that January 6th shit happened, but it was all... Poor white people, all poor black people uniting to take over that shit. Like, that's the type of shit that needs to fucking happen. Once poor white people realize they're niggers too, then this shit will get a yeah, whole lot are, better. Tell, and tell I think, a lot of faith in poor white people of 2022. No, it's not. Poor white people of 2022 not. are not, they're just not, it's, it's like, I'm I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. They just need someone to explain this shit. Just like I keep saying that the, that these street gangs need someone to explain this shit, so do poor white people. Poor white people, all, the reason they're like this is because they have some other person that's charismatic enough to convince them that all of their problems are due to somebody else. But that somebody else is black people, is Mexican people, is women. Imagine if they had someone that's like, look, these problems are because of these other white people that are way richer than you that don't give a fuck that you're poor. Yeah. And they, matter of fact, they actually like that you're poor because they can keep you uneducated. And if they can keep you uneducated, they can keep you fighting with these other black people that are also having the same problems that you're I just, having. I, I yeah. agree with that. I just think that they're aware of that. By and, by and, by and large, are, I think that they're aware. I think the promise of Oh, but we'll be better off than the blacks is enough for them. Like, no, for real. I think they're absolutely yeah. aware of their yeah. economic situation. They're absolutely aware of their status. They know the elites are fucking them. And they're like, well, you know what? I mean, if the trade-off is that you guys get to fuck us over, but we get to fuck over the blacks and the gays, I'll take it. Like, that's what, that's what I think they're That's what I think they're on. I, would, I think I your average poor white person doesn't think that way. I don't think they have enough. I don't think they have enough information to think that way. I think we're coming back to like earlier. We're saying, oh, people are worried about like their next, you know, meal. Like the people, I like a lot of people. I would say, probably not even poor white people, but like middle class white people, especially, are a lot of racial anxiety about you know staying above um, the you know the the, the real niggers. Um, mm -hmm. But. Yeah, poor white people are probably also just wor as worried about, like, getting their next box of diapers for their kid or whatever and not thinking, like, oh, I hate those black people, like, you know, openly. Though there are certainly cases of that as well, but... Mm. They think the same way these street gangs do, bro. Oh, yeah, like, these, these street gangs are like, yo, I can't get ahead because of these niggas on the block. I can't get ahead because of this gang around the corner. These other black people and these fucking poor white folks, I can't get ahead because these goddamn niggers. I can't get ahead because these damn Mexicans. It's what? like, if if we were able to convince them that this was not the case and these were the actual problems... I just don't know bro. if we can convince them of that, man. I, 
we can't. I don't think we it, can't. I think they're, I think they're too <laughs> that's, far. That's definitely not anywhere right now. I'm not. The Rock. The Rock can do it. If you get The Rock to go talk to no, these I'm, poor white people, they'd the listen ro- to The Rock. Let's get Mike on Joe Rogan. Maybe that'll help. You're right about that, right? But if The Rock was to say the wrong thing, that deal's done. You know what I'm saying? And by wrong, you know, and by wrong thing, I don't even think like like if The Rock were to be like, "Hey, you know what? I'm The Rock, and I've been I've been playing it smiling, and I'm like everybody loves me. I'm a beloved national figure. You know what I'm saying? I don't I don't really jump too much into politics and take one side one way or the other. But you know that Bernie Sanders guy really makes sense about this Medicare for all thing. It's done. It's done. White white people don't I like. Don't know. White people don't I like it. Th- the, I, those white the folks rocks, be like, oh, the rock shit, says yeah. that, and 75 million people don't like The Rock no more. Instantly. Instantly. And my, Look, that's my opinion. The Rock is the <laughs> only... He's he's not even white. And they don't... They It's like either they don't I know mean, we or forget, We're forgetting The Rock. The Rock like, has... I mean, the, like, just the last election, The Rock made a vote for Biden video and what, what the fuck is Trump is fucking up video. And, I mean, I read those comments on that post. The majority of What'd them were say? from people like, I thought you were one of us. Like, <laughs> I'll never watch another rock movie again. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm like, taking, I'm taking the time. I'm wasting, I'm wasting oh, minutes shit. of my life to actually scroll down these things. Oh. And when I find one that's like, oh, you tell them, Rock, I like that. It's of note. Like, oh, oh, one of the Rock's fans is cool. Okay, you know what I mean? But damn, the Rock probably, if he was thinking about his career, he probably should have kept that shit to himself. Oh man! Hey y'all, we're we're gonna we're gonna be back with the music discussion right after the break. We'll see you guys after the jump. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here. We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're gonna love listening to it and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. 
It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Into the music discussion. So, yeah, so in summary, with we were talking about the Young Lords, ultimately got Cointel Prode, et cetera. We ain't got to get into that depressing shit. And so we're going to talk a little bit about hip-hop. So we got this track by Moral Technique, Young Lords, um, in which she describes, you know, solidarity with Puerto Ricans as a man of Peruvian descent, paranoia about Cointel Pro targeting, critiques of capitalism and imperialism, and then interestingly describes how incarceration um, can be an illuminating experience, um, similar to the sort of revelation that Cha Cha had while he was in prison, and Malcolm X famously also had while he was in prison. But let's get let's listen to it. Live for freedom. I survived the coin tone pro assassinations, AIDS epidemic, crack era, fracture the nation. Um, I you know it's it's dope. We were uh, kind of talking about it earlier. It's one of those joints where you know the song has the name the Young Lords, and it's a mortal technique featuring. About like three, yeah, Pumpkinhead, three other rappers or four other rappers. And I mean, in my opinion, I think the only person who was sticking like hard to the cut to the the name of the song was probably Immortal Technique. What what were your thoughts on that? Like, I thought that he was really sticking to the topic in terms of actually rapping about the Young Lords, at least a lot more than everybody else was. So from that standpoint, I don't know how effective the song was as far as like you know educating people and putting them up on the young lords and stuff like that but i i i like it when songs have names like this and that's not necessarily the focus of the song because like for someone like me especially when i was younger i would be like okay what does young lords mean and then i would probably try to look it up and you know what i'm saying and, and then I mean, I feel like one thing Immortal Technique has done really well is that, like, interweaving, like, revolutionary thought and thinking and critique in with just yeah. street shit in a way that doesn't feel like he's being too pedantic. I mean, sometimes a little too pedantic, but it's not like he's beating you over the head with, like, civil rights shit. It's just like, yo, I was out here on the block, like, flipping G's, like, I went yeah. to jail. And also, like, here's a little, little something about Che Guevara. Here's a little shit about Malcolm X. What's up? Like, it, do- mm-hmm. it, feels, it doesn't feel very, like, teachery. Uh, and that's kind of what the song was like for me, where he's kind of talking about day day of the life, you know, growing up in the barrio, et cetera. Uh, but then it just like drops these things about like fuck yeah. imperialism, et cetera, which it kind of goes back to you were saying earlier about like having a twerking in the video and they're like, see the credit cards or whatever. Uh, it's kind of like that. It's got a little, it's like a little, you know, political yeah. twinge to it, but it still lures you in with like imagery that is familiar if you like 
I think that's when Immortal Technique is at his best. Is like when he's when he's just rapping and the politics come through like whatever he's rapping about. It's most of his songs where he's like sticking hard to like a specific political subject and stuff like that. I like it more, like you said, when it can sound like he's just rapping street shit or he's just spitting battle bars even, you know what I mean? But like peppered in mm-hmm. that, you've got like these these little these little lines and these little uh, nuggets of like, oh, he thinks this about that issue. Oh, he thinks this about that issue. Oh, he's, he's bringing awareness to this issue. But then overall, the song, that's not the intent of the song. And it, I don't know, for me, it makes for a more enjoyable listening experience. Agreed. Well, hopefully yeah. we can do another episode more on like the Puerto Rican independence struggle, which is like fascinating. So how, how tied in was um, that with the, uh, Young Lords? Oh yeah, I mean they. So you know they were about like independence for all colonized people, but particular, but you know with various levels to it. You know they want self determination for Puerto Rican communities and Latino communities in America, independence for what is you know effectively a U.S. colony. I mean no, definitely a U.S. colony in Puerto Rico. But then like seeing the similarities and struggles for you know people in Vietnam or various other territories under U.S. occupation in various forms, be it economic or like literally military presence. So. I mean, the, the like the Puerto Rico independence struggle is still ongoing. So this is something that like they were like about, but there, people are out here today still like fighting for in different ways. There's not like a unified, you know. There's been various different opinions on what should happen with oh, Puerto no, Rico. But yeah. hopefully, we'll come yeah, back we and talk about that sometime. That. So, hey, Mike, before we bounce out, so what do you got going these days? What's up? Um, we're still doing dead end stuff. You know, we have like. God, five or six different podcasts going. You, um, we don't get to. Are you on all the podcasts? Go ahead. What were you about to say? Uh, I'm on three of them. Three of them. Um, but we don't get to dive deep into political stuff like this. You know, we have is the mic still on? That's probably the closest thing Y'all to it. Got but, like a media empire you know, over there right now. <laughs> hey, bro, we're trying. We're trying. We're trying. But I mean, this was fun because you know. Y'all make me think. I don't have to think that much when I do shit with them. <laughs> I don't have to think that hard when I do shit with them. You know what I mean? <laughs> so well, I appreciate Thank you for this. coming on, man. Where can the people find you? Um, You can mostly find me with Dead End Hip Hop. So YouTube.com forward slash Dead End Hip Hop. Talk about, you know, hip hop, man. Talk about rap albums. Talk about hip hop culture. Um, you can find me on my own shit. Um, MikeCtown.com. M-Y-K-E. C-T-O-W-N.com. Um, you can find me talking about other shit outside of hip hop because, you know, black people are not a monolith and people need to start really recognizing that shit. And I want to make a, a safe space for weirdo black kids <laughs> to not be called weirdo black kids by white people. So <laughs> come through. Well, that's what's up. Y'all make sure y'all go check out Dead and Hip Hop. Those album reviews are banging. I've been watching Dead and Hip Hop since they had like when y'all was having like 300 views on shit. I was watching. Good old days. Yeah, I was watching that shit. Yeah, I was like, yo, these. one day I'm going to be on that. (laughs) And you've been on there a couple times. I know. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, um, Mariah, we've got to close this off the way we always do, right? Guess I can do some rap music. Hey, Mike, you going (laughs) to drop some bars on this rap, Cypher? You going to? No. No. (laughs) No, We're not going to get the Mike seat. I mean, if you let me know ahead of time, I'd have wrote you a Fire 16, but you didn't say nothing. You know what I'm saying? You got to pay me to rap on the spot, bro. All right. We heard it. We heard it here first. Me and Mariah are going to start a uh, GoFundMe, and we are going to (laughs) get 16 bars. 
from Mike C-Town in the future. Um, hey, yo, Joel, can you drop a beat? Yeah. Waiting on reparations. Dope knife. Mike C-Town. Young Lords. What up? They didn't listen to the grievances when we was vocalizing. So we put the petty beef away and started organizing. They was bitching it at first, so we hit them where it hurts. Gathered all the troops and then we started sitting in the church. It's waiting on reparations, you better reimburse. Cause I eve by you niggas and I hit you with a curse. Now they keep us in the slums or the one the cops hunt for. Better pay your homage while you think they call us young lords. If you really want more, we got it all in spades. Reparations, bitch, you motherfuckers ought to pay. They want us on our hand and knees to put us in a cage. They trying to make a sequel called 20 years a slave look get in your place i spit in your face want to scare white folks more than critical race and when i hear a beat spit with the rhythm and pace slap you in the mouth and leave you fuckers without a taste dope hey it's a dope knife i'm lingua franca and you have been listening to waiting on reparations a production of iHeartRadio. we will see you guys next week listen to waiting on reparations on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.